Welcome to the Designing Hollywood Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. The Designing Hollywood Podcast is dedicated to all things movies, the movie industry, and its talented professionals. I want to thank our sponsor, Fox Studios Costumes. And our guest today is a costume designer born in Manchester and started her career at the Royal Exchange Theater as a costume maker, then studied costume design at the Wimbledon School of Art in 1990-93. She was an assistant designer on films including Ridley Scott's Gladiator and Jake Scott's Plunkett McLean. She went on to design costumes for Ridley Scott's Black Hawk Down. She received Costume Designers Guild Award nominations for Excellence in Period Film, The Imitation Game, and Excellence in Fantasy Films, Ex Machina, X-Men First Class, and V for Vendetta. Her more recent film credits include Assassin's Creed, directed by Justin Kurtzel, Marvel's Ant-Man, Annihilation, and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Her latest anticipated film to be released in theaters is Marvel's Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao. She is currently working on Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Sammy Differ to the Designing Hollywood podcast. Sammy, I got to tell you, it's a, a great thrill to have you here. Uh, and I, you know, I look at your credits, and and as a fan of science fiction, fantasy, and horror films, I look at your credits, and I can only say what a delicious career you've had. Uh, I and I'm a huge fan of yours. And I think before we get into 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 the your career. I would love to start with just asking you uh, your philosophy when you're given uh, movies that uh, have well science fiction, fantasy, and horror bents to them. How do you start? I mean, obviously, you're creating costumes. You can't go and look at well, what did Bagdito wear as the real person? You know, <laughs> he, is he? A, I mean, I guess he is a historical figure. If you go back to the comics, you can go, you can go deep, deep, yeah. deep back into the '60s, but. Like if if you're if you're if you're gonna design uh, something for like Assassin's Creed, which actually I guess you could go back into history, do you go and look at the source material first? Do you read the scripts? How do you begin the process? I 100% read the script first. That's like your main source, um, and then I kind of research in depending on the fit, the the period or modern or wherever it is. I'll kind of research if there is an indicated area to look in terms of period or I don't know tech or science and then um, I will um, break things down into elements really mm. I, I tend to um, kind of do an overview of kind of the feel of the film and colors and stuff and obviously take on board what the director wants and then um, taking each individual character i try to break them down in a in a in a very elemental way so you you kind of use color and texture and maybe there's a theme involved that that you can bring some source material through and it, and it is my process is definitely very organic which often drives some of my team a bit mad because i kind of <laughs> talk in very elemental ways about you know texture and feel and color and stuff like that so um, it's 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 definitely built from the base step up, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, it's a big <laughs> journey. It's a big journey. <laughs> well, now you know when it, when it comes to one of the, one of the things that's always fascinated me about costume design is you know I've talked to a few costume designers now, and a lot of them say that they they spend a lot of time in museums looking at yeah. paintings and and getting a feel for 
for fabrics and colors. Is that something yeah. that you find yourself doing yeah. a lot? I, you know, it's. I think researching is it, it, yes, museums, um, you know, books, uh, the the world, you know, landscapes, um, you know, all, each film it has such a, a life of its own that every time you set on a journey of research, it's a new version of that, which is what's so exciting about working in, in film and working in costume is is no two films are ever the same. Right. So you can make, you know, you, you learn from the last film you've done. There might be new techniques you use all the time that, that take you a step further. Um, but it's always, I t- treat each film as it, a new baby, <laughs> you know? <Sorry. laughs> and ha- what we're gonna write on the pages of that brain, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and it's it's yeah. I mean, it, it, that's why you know. Yes, museums. Yes, you know, libraries, um, your own library. Sometimes it's just like walking down the street. You know, it, it might be that you just need to go and sit in a cafe and watch people, or or go to the beach and or or or, or re, you know research. I mean, what's great about the internet is now we've got so much more source. <laughs> right. And, you know, we have to really take some of that research carefully so that it's not someone's view of it that it might whether it's truth or not you know but um yeah i think um i don't have any boundaries of where my research comes from it could be i'll be inspired by a letter that comes through the post that's got a picture on it that's happened once um <laughs> or just you know somebody says something or i'll wake up at 5 a.m and write down oh that's the, i often have solutions to problematical tech parts of costumes at about 4 5 a.m in the morning and i know if i go to sleep wake up i go ah there it is but you know it might take weeks for that (laughs) well you know i look at things that you started out obviously one of your first credits as a costume designer was working for ridley scott now you had worked on uh, you can't see it but i have a a beautiful figure of maximus from gladiator up on up on my uh, up on my shelf back here, but you started out working for Ridley Scott, who's one of the most detail oriented directors, and yeah. um, and then you went from from working on Gladiator to working with him on Black Hawk Down, uh, and then you went. Yeah. I, I find this curious. You did Canterbury Tales, Ancient Egyptians, <laughs> and The Merchant of Venice, so you were yeah. steeped in history. You know, yeah. you were going back into into historical, yeah. and I wonder, like, when you're doing that, obviously nowadays historical epics we, we must have such a backlog of places to source this material from but yeah. do you do you like to work from scratch or yes. you do totally yeah every time <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um because I started I, from a very young age I started um both interested in history and clothing but not fashion I was a bit scared of fashion and I was and I knew when I left school that um, I didn't want to go and do like a university education in terms of, you know, subjects. I wanted to be a designer. And um, and I think, um, oh, I've lost my thread for a minute there. Sorry. Um, you were scared of, I want to know why you're, why were you scared of fashion? Because I don't know. And I still am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I've, I'm so comfortable um, with, the, the the way that I look at a character, you know, read a character and look at it and go, okay, we're gonna, this is gonna be goat, cow, fifteenth uh, century with I don't know, pink, bright pink, and and put it together like a little, you know, 
recipe and see what comes out. And I'm so comfortable with that, that anything fashion based, I, 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 I'm a bit like, well, we go, we'll go and buy it all and you've got to style it. And then you kind of don't know the intention of, of the designer has made this thing and what the intention is. And of course, it's all your own version of, of it. But I'm just not as comfortable with fashion as I am with history and fantasy and armor and techie stuff and you know all those things that you can have sort of fun creating and they're not it's not necessarily fashionable it doesn't have to be fashionable i don't know i'm I'm probably saying the wrong thing about fashion but i just even when i was 16 and i went to art college i was like the only thing you could do was a fashion design course so i set myself on the course and went can i just use a script um, I'm going to do, I don't know, you know, choose, choose a play and then, and then, um, made clothing based on, on that period. Um, so per- for me, period research, I was so interested in, and then I was so lucky to get to work with the Royal Exchange Theatre when I was only 18, um, too young to get on a degree course. So I went to them and said, can I just work for you? For nothing <laughs> and they, i was there for four weeks just cleaning shoes and um you know doing whatever and it just happened to be their centenary year and they were super busy and they found out that i could sew so they gave me a job as an apprentice so i spent wow. four years there and learned everything about you know work for all the cutters tailoring not so much because that's really specific but all the sort of you know, bone corsetry and making 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th century stuff. So I had all that kind of wealth of um, research from me being interested and then this learning it on the job um, with actors and, you know, dressing actors in the evening. So I got this whole education of how to be with actors and at a very, very young age. And then they said to me, you're wasted here. You need to go get a degree in costume design, set me some projects, and I got into Wimbledon. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and I was 23. And um, and I think be- because I'd had so much before, I utilised the course really well because I kind of really understood what it was like from script, research, making, production into mm. theatre, and it was rep. So it's a four-week turnaround. So yeah. For, years I was doing every four weeks and I was making and dressing the actors in the evening then making in the day so you know doing like eight till 11 at night loved every minute of it um and then that's when I'd done my degree Wimbledon is such an amazing place um that a lot of the tutors there are working um designers mm. so I was very fortunate to meet people like Hazel Pethig, Charles Node, my um John Bright um, you know, lot, lots and lots of others. And then I started working for a, 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 a designer, David Blight, who I stayed with for a couple of years as his assistant, um, and then bumped into Janty Yates in a very kind of convoluted wow. way. And, that, and then her assistant for a few years. And and so when, when she got Plunkett and McLean, I was like, oh, I've done loads of 18th century stuff. Because um, I just loved that. And I, so we researched and we did that film and and I had a really great time working with her. Um, she, um, you know, because she got um, Gladiator, I had the, a ball researching that um, and, and you know, spent all my days in my office with all the research and, you know, because that was such a massive movie. 
and sort of trained on again on the job um and so so fortunate well, what I find interesting about all of that is, is you know, you did mostly, I mean, yeah, Black Hawk Down was more modern, but you you were doing The Merchant of Venice, and then you got Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And if, if ah, any... Well, that's, if any, a, that's a story. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if anyone knows anything about that, talk about the costumes. I mean, they're all over the place. You've got Zaphod Beeblebrox, the two-headed president of the galaxy. You've got yeah. Vogons. You've got Slarty Bartfast. You've got all these characters. How did you go from... <laughs> doing period work to jumping onto something like Hitchhiker's Guide? Well, I genuinely think that goes back to what I witnessed and what I worked on in theatre, because theatre doesn't have to be historically correct. Mm -hmm. And the way that the Royal Exchange approached things and all the designers that I worked under um, were so inspirational in those four years and all had this approach of like they do their version of a period so it could be like a modern overtone of 1750 or 1520 or what whatever um and worked on some seriously amazing um productions that that made me realize that here's your research but then there's your version of it right and that's that's why the jump from doing fantasy to period is 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 so easy for me because i don't think that you have to necessarily just be truthful to the to the the research sure. you know you can make your version of that um so that's why that lends itself very well to a kind of a fancy like with stardust those kind of films that you know you can bring your period bit in to explain this character but add a bit of spice you know or wh whatever well, yeah. it's it's interesting because so when you did Hitchhikers, there was you had first of all there was the radio play, then you had the novel, then you yeah. had the BBC series, <laughs> and then you said you know you had the screenplay. So when you have something that has various iterations before you get there, do you still look at the script first, or did you go back and look at the BBC series? Did you listen to the radio play? How did you begin you something like Hitchhikers? read the book obviously that in that in that instance i read the book um but the reason i did that film was before i was in film and tv and all that um i did uh pop promos with a a group of guys called hammer and tongs and that was very early in my career and we did lots of crazy pop promos where we had headless people, we had um, the band in a, in a house where the whole walls blew out and all their clothes blew off and I had to do all that kind of techie thing where you pull all the clothes off and, did, you know, crazy kind of, there was one I think we did, we did where we, the band was in the middle as like an art thing and we threw paint at them and, um, and that was all part of the, the, their morphing into something else and so I worked with this group of guys who were into puppetry, models, um, you know prosthetics anything goes with them and so i did a lot of work with them and then they got hitchhikers and asked me to work on work on it so um and they're the perfect people to do it because they're, they're they were such a you know young very vibrant group of guys who um looked at things in a different perspective mm. and um and then and, and because i'd worked with them so much um it just fitted in and and so we yes we read the book then we read the screenplay and um and then took our version of it and we we you know you look back at the things that were done on the tv series which a lot of people still hold dear um so um including my husband um <laughs> and um yeah and then we just kind of took our version of it 
I suppose. Such no, a long time. <laughs> well, you did you did terrific work. I mean, you know, it was funny. I I was always wondering, like, how would they do? It's not really a costume, but how are they going to do Marvin the Paranoid Android? And the design yeah. was so perfect. And having Alan yeah. Rickman do the voice, I'm like, yeah. you know, only fans could have come up with with that. So it yeah. was it was great. Yeah, that 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 film was very much a case of like, you know, there was a lot of people involved in all the different versions of the characters. So. Um, and and I think Hens people at Henson were involved in that. Yeah, I believe that was just before they closed. Um, so there was a lot of the creature stuff done with them, and then we kind of you know we had a merging of certain things, and then I did my own bit over here, and you know there was a, a lot in the few characters that that were um, on the ship, for instance, that there were, a lot came with those few characters. So <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> and you know two headed man, um, you know yeah, I, I'm thinking back. Yeah, it it was, and then and you know I would come up with things like, what? How do we do all the the builders of the you know the the world like <laughs> get them these big orange wellies that you wear if you're going into radiation, and you know just kind of have some. It was fun. We we had we had to make it fun and and you know not not it wasn't too serious. I think. Well, yeah, it, it, I guess it couldn't be. It, you know, it's Hitchhiker's okay. Guide. But, but then I, I think it's really interesting looking at the turn that your career took from Hitchhiker's Guide, which was came out in two thousand five. You first of all, then you went to Kinky Boots, which was great. But yeah. then you 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 did a series of comic book themed movies. You did V for Vendetta, which is of course based yeah. on Alan Moore's story, and then Stardust, which is what Neil Neil Gaiman. And then um, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, which was a Dark Horse comic. And then Kick-Ass, which you reunited with Matthew Vaughn uh, a number of – so you'd now work with him twice on Stardust and and, uh, Kick-Ass. But so now you're ensconced in comic book land. Yeah. And and, and you've you've, you've kept on – you've kept a great career working, working obviously – uh, you've you, you've made it to the the Tiffany standard of of comic book movies, which is Marvel. But starting there, I, I'm just I'm blown away by the diversity of the costumes and the things that you were called upon to create. Uh, v for Vendetta obviously might have been just a future fe- period piece. So it was, you know, it's a little dystopian, a little yeah. drab. But then you jump to Stardust, which is uh, with the yeah. I mean the the star power in Stardust. And and suddenly, I just wondered if you could sort of address, like, were you when you were growing up, were you a fan of science fiction, fantasy, and horror films, and did you read comics? I um I was a big fan of Star Wars. Uh, from ten when I saw the first one, and uh, that's when I yeah, saw it too. Yeah, and I was just like, ah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that. I don't know what that is. I don't know how, to, how it how it is, but. I want to be involved in that. And and I think that was always in the back of my mind, actually. That was a real, like, pivotal moment in seeing that film at 10 years old and going, I was so ensconced in the story and so believed that that this was a real thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it really kind of hit me. And um, I think I, I've always felt like the films that I've, now I want to work on it kind of I want the audience to have that same emotion that I had when I was 10 and I watched A New Hope and and you know that it it makes me kind of go oh um because I think that's good storytelling and that's what 
film's about, you know? So the costume part of it um, is the big journey into giving characters their, um, you know, their reality that people can really hold on to. Um, I think with Stardust, um, I had such a good time designing that. I can only, I mean, the design of that movie is beautiful. It's just so it was beautiful. Really hard work. Really, like I, I think I was a very young designer when I did that, and it was, you know, I didn't realize how big it was until I was kind of on it and going, "Oh my god!" Um, and the actors and that you're designing for, you were designing for some legends. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I can't. You know, I don't even think about that as much as I'm just so fixated on like making sure that you know the clothes are okay. Um, but I, I think. With that film particularly, Matthew Matthew has a very interesting way of working because he doesn't have any boundaries when it comes to like it has to be period correct or it has to be this or that. But he he he's he has this way of sometimes going, um, I'm going to pluck this from over here, and it doesn't it doesn't fit in with the, this period or this style, but I'm going to put it in here, and and it works. And that's how kind of how we did Stardust, and I I kind of put it all into different blocks and and you know you had the 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 charlie cox's character and then and you know all the that that came with that and then you've got these a whole other world where we put it into sections so i was looking at like really ancient sculptures Mm. and then 18th century period and then westerns and you know bringing it all in and i've got it's a, a bit of a running joke now that i always like to have ponchos and gaiters in all my films because um i'm just a massive fan of westerns and um well even v and v for vendetta had a pretty good call it a poncho yeah. call it a, i don't know what you would call that cape yeah you know cape, yeah i know that that the, yeah there's always an element of that i try to shoehorn in somewhere <laughs> just because i think it's cool and I, I think with stardust that was definitely a culmination of all different kinds of research coming together and independently all the characters they didn't necessarily have a place in any one period. Um, right. But I just, you know, we, with the witches, for instance, we looked at the snake ladies that for them, you know, the Minoan slate ladies. And, and then, and then I found all these different fabrics and we kind of constructed the costumes as, as we got to know the characters more and then made the, the older ones first and then made them younger afterwards. Um, so you had these two versions of the same look and they were based in, lots of different periods right together and i think that i think that's what i'm kind of i enjoy doing is is more than the straight kind of period stuff sure i'm not i i, I love doing that as well but i i kind of get a bit excited and kind of go oh why don't we just put this collar with this top and or this you know texture that is completely not right <laughs> and put it with this um and and it also one of the things i've i've realized about my work as i look back is I'm definitely my stuff I don't think is kind of bright and colorful. I think I really am into grungy textures in a way and making things feel like they sit in instead of like ping, you know. And the more I go on, the more I'm into kind of getting the the breakdown department to to go no, go further, don't be scared, push it, pull that color in and out. You know, we need and and no no costume is complete to me unless it's been painted into and dyed over and <laughs> ripped to shreds or whatever. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting when it comes to, I think, fantasy filmmaking and also specifically superhero costumes. You think back to like 1978 when Christopher Reeve played Superman. Yeah. I mean, that was a spandex costume. Yeah. It was very brightly colored right out of the pages of, of, a, of a Superman comic. And then uh, 11 years later, we get Tim Burton's Batman, where suddenly we change it all up. Batman is not wearing uh, yeah. spandex. He's got an exterior. He's got basically armored up costume and then in the 90s we saw like the crow brandon lee's yeah. the crow which you know again distressed leather like you were talking about and then i think the the entry of the modern comic book costume was in blade the first yes. blade you know wesley snipes played that costume was incredible which and that costume yeah. led into brian singer's x-men in 2000 which gave way to sam raimi's spider-man and and again spider-man could have been a printed um uh, a printed spandex costume, but it wasn't. It was multi-layered. It had texture. It had sort of the spider over the the, the fabric. Yeah. And then we saw this sort of the evolution of the comic book costume. And like you were saying, you started using different fabrics, uh, wanting to distress them and, and giving dimensionality to the costumes, which gave those costumes, I always like to say verisimilitude, a reality that that leapt beyond say the four color pages of a comic you had you had to do that to bring those characters yeah. into the real world and yet yeah. people still want color i mean when you see a yeah. comic book character but if somebody's wearing spandex today you know yeah. running around no one's going to believe it <laughs> you know no one's going to buy I know. I know it's it's yeah the bar's set high now isn't it <laughs> it is i mean yeah. but it was interesting cuz then you 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 went from v for vendetta and stardust to hellboy which, I mean, yeah. Hellboy, you know, the, those costumes yeah. and the design. Again, another Hellboy to the Golden Army. Beautiful, beautiful oh, design work. That, that, you know, working with Guillermo del Toro is just, like, amazing. He is such an artist. And he brings so much to the table with all these textures and colors. He, he had a, always had a color theory. And I just loved working with him. And, uh, and he's such an artist. And I draw. So I kind of got he does drawings and you know it was like a language you can have without speaking um and so the creation of all those characters i really went to town with the oh, dying, the, you know the ombre from one color to another and textures and uh, armor and using bone little bone things for the armor on the the prince and um I don't know. We, we we came up with all kinds of strange and wonderful things with like horns, with things wrapped around them, with the, for those priests. I can't even remember all of it now. Actually, that was amazing that stuff. Was now, when you go back, I mean, Hellboy obviously it was really the product of one man, Mike Mignola's imagination. So when yeah. you go back and you're on a uh, on something like Hellboy, it's not like there's forty years of various artists who have worked on the project. It's really only the product of one. Man, do you go back and look at the issues of Hellboy? We did, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just to you know, the 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 look of Hellboy himself, you know, he's always a, that was a, a a growing thing, and I think you you always want to take that that character on a journey from the first to the second one, um, and then on, I, I presume. Um, and I know we did a lot of research into the big coat and. Um, you know his look is quite set so you can't really change it that much but you you have to look at what is going on in the comic book and texturally be quite faithful to that if you can 
um we, and, you know the, the the overtones of that is all very kind of there's a lot of red involved in you know hell and, and, and yeah and actually that was something that Guillermo was always very keen on he, he, he did a color journey which is such an interesting way of of looking at, at how you want the film to, the, the audience to be pulled through the film is through color um, right. and, and I, I loved that because it really helps you with your fabrics that you you know if he's going to use a red light what to do with that fabric and that color and what color it's going to go what colors you mustn't put into that scene because they'll turn a completely different color so that's a an interesting journey and um and i feel like it's very comic booky i think i think it, it was you know there's it's got that kind of it's I stunning golden it. army is a stunningly yeah. beautiful film oh, i mean did, uh, everything about it now i would ask you do you have like an army of people around the world that you source your fabrics from? Like, do you have people in different, like I know somebody in Florence or I know somebody, you know, in Rome. Yeah, I mean, do you know, we, we do sometimes. Um, <clears throat> the, the world has changed and fabrics are actually becoming very tricky. Uh, and why, why is that? I, mean, I, I think it's expensive and, um, you know, obviously right now it's even more tricky because of the pandemic. But um, I, I think when I was first starting out, when I started in theatre, I could come to London and walk down Berwick Street and there'd be loads of different shops. And you'd always go into Borovics, for instance, and it was like a cave of stuff. And you'd see fabrics you've never seen anywhere else. Now, you just don't see those fabrics anymore because they're, they're not just on the roll to, to buy. You have to go and order them from Italy or France. And um, so it's a bit more difficult to source things. So you ha I have buyers that I work with and we always kind of, you know, call up people that we might know in various places or send someone or I'll go to um, Italy or where or, or France or um, mainly that, you know, that's where we get the stuff from, really. Um, and then the Far East and uh, or you get the shops to help you out because it's it's there's definitely a lot less fabric around than there used to be. And one of the things in more recent times I've been doing is uh, we actually make the fabrics. So you ha mm. might have a base fabric and then you'll print or dye on top of it. And then you'll do more effects so you can get something that's completely unique. Um, as long as you know, you need, if you need to stretch or drape or whatever, um, and then you can, you know, work more by building the pattern yourself or the texture. Um, I think that's more approach that we we've made in recent years, really. Yeah. Well, then you you know jumping up to something like Kickass, even though I was talking about the evolution of comic costumes, Kickass has all of the different because Kickass is more of that spandex, yeah, stretchy fabric, and then you've got you've got Hit Girl who who has like she's kind of put together different things like a girl would, and then her dad, Big Daddy, is is basically in that tim burton-esque batman costume so you've done the the whole history of of comic yeah. book costumes in one movie yeah. was yeah, that something that was, you were consciously was, aware of it was very conscious so when we did kick ass there was only i think four or five issues of the comic right. so we don't they'd only touched on kick ass himself and hit girl in one i think and then uh red mist was in there but it was a very simple shape and what Matthew wanted was us to kind of push it way further, be faithful to hit to, to kick ass, but then take all the other characters and, and 
put yourself in the mind of if you were a teenage boy and you wanted to dress up as this particular superhero, what, what, where would you go? What would you buy? How would you pimp it? And that was the approach. <laughs> so basically, there were things that could have been bought, but they've been slightly altered. Um, so that it, it was, it's more accessible and believable. None of them had superpowers. They weren't superheroes. So the idea is they're dressing up as superheroes because they, you know, the, the journey takes them in the various ways within that that film and obviously big daddy had a very ulterior motive he was dressed you know in combat gear basically right he got bought stuff in and clad himself in a kind of cool sort of way and we kind of looked at stuff and um, that was on the internet at the time like the future soldier and all that kind of stuff and then tried to kind of go well he'll have looked at that online and gone i'm going to try and build that and build his version of it so that that was that was the inspiration for all those characters. Really, was that they done it themselves, right? And it, well, I think you did a great job, you know, with that <laughs> and on, on Kickass too. And then you did. I have to say, I really loved uh, Imitation Game, you know, quite a bit oh, as well. Yeah. But yeah. between the two, you 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 got to have your first taste of of jumping into Marvel, even though it was over when Fox was still Fox. You went over and you did X-Men First Class with Matthew Vaughn. And unlike the other X-Men movies, which sort of took place in the near, other than opening in Auschwitz, like the first X-Men did, you got to go back. Not only were you jumping into the Marvel Universe with the X-Men, but you got to go back and do it as the 60s. The movie was set in the early 60s, Cuban Missile Crisis. And you, you made choices, like you were able to go back and the X-Men at the time had all been clad in their leather sort of mission wear but then you go you went back and and you gave them color in their costumes the yellow and the black and which was going back to the classic x-men look what was it like taking on i mean you got to go from again a concentration camp with with young uh magneto young eric lencher and then go into the swing in 60s and you you must have had a ball yeah on on that film because my god first of all it's a great movie but all the character designs and everything that you got to do, the Hellfire Club, was that like just was that the pinnacle of your comic book? I mean, Stardust was pretty amazing. I'll say that, you know. I was, oh, but going to, I loved Stardust because, like you said, but for me, X Men. I'm a huge. I've been an X Men fan since I was a little kid, and okay. there was so much to draw upon, not just the previous movies. But then you could go back and you actually had the 1960s. And being that you're from England, I don't think there's any cooler place in the 60s than London would have been. You know, so what was it like coming into the world? Like you said, you have Magneto's helmet behind you. Uh, yeah. But you, you already had kind of a direction that they had established in the films. But, but and I, I guess what I want to ask, because I want to ask this about Ant-Man too. You, you had, you had, a, you had a, again, previously existing films you had all of the comics, and yet you had Matthew Vaughn, who has his obviously big ideas, and Jane wrote that script as well. So, yeah, yeah. what was it like to jump into your first experience with Marvel, and where do you begin with something like X Men First Class? Well, I, I can say it was terrifying. <laughs> there was such a lot of weight on the suits, um, and interestingly, I how how, how come? because we were going back in time Mm. and um and they were you know there was a lot of worry over how we could make it look cool in the 60s um and what we did was we sort of looked at the other films all had like these kind of 
dark suits and they were all very, very similar. Um, and in a way, they wanted to sort of keep that theme, but have them all slightly different, uh, which is kind of what they did um, in the other films. Um, but I was handed the very first copy of X-Men um, from 1963, I think it was. And, uh, and on the front cover, you've got all the characters on there in these little pants, <laughs> meaning underpants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, and they were yellow and blue. And uh, we... I would, it, basically, Matthew said, I want this to be the inspiration. And I was like, okay. And wow. so we came up with this. We we researched into everything that NASA had done that you can access um, in terms of um, space suits and pressure suits and textures and how they fit this bit to this bit and this bit, you know. And then we came up with these suits that, that are not spandex at all not stretchy at all and then right. built stretch in by doing what the nasa research showed us where you there's little you know lines of fabric that have a stretching behind so they bend in certain places i'm not saying that they were the the most movable suits but i think that they could do all the action in them but also what we did is we we found this fabric that had like blue and black fibers in it and then i had them basically twin needle little tiny oblongs over the whole surface of each panel. So it gave it this kind of texture that yeah. lifted. And then the yellow part, we did a lot of research into um, Kevlar and when it was first invented and then found something. We tried Kevlar itself, but it kept breaking the needles. Uh, the, the, sorry, the scissors. <laughs> um, so you couldn't actually cut it. You need a special pair of scissors. And also what we found was we put it outside to see what it would do because we were been told that it sometimes does stuff in the light and it just started changing color. So we couldn't actually use Kevlar. So we found a weave that was similar, dyed it to the same color and layered it up. So it had this Kevlar feel. So obviously that was de developed by DuPont in 1963. Um, and it was, I think the thought was that the yellow on the comic book cover was to reflect that development in tech. I love that you were going back and actually looking at fabric and things from the time, you yeah. know, and, 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 and again, just adding that extra layer of, I mean, this is what people out there listening, this is what great costume designers do. You know, this is why, <laughs> why, why you, this is why you, you make the big bucks because what a, what a brilliant, what a brilliant conceit to actually go back and, and, and grab your materials that would be period, I guess, that, do you think that came out of working on period costumes in early in your career that you're like, why not go back and look at what they were doing at the time? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, I went back to when I was at, at, at art college and I was 16 and 17 and they'd take us on these journeys to places like the Bath um, Costume Museum and they'd actually get the, the clothes out that were just almost falling in bits. And so, you, you know, that I suppose that must be an inspiration to... You know that stuff really does still exist and if you go um you know to italy you can go in museums and see the original kind of 15th 16th 17th century fabrics i think that going back to the source fabric to understand its texture and its its depth and its color and you know how the difference in the dyes and the and the just the feel of everything i think it's good to research that and you you go, go as far as you can to, to see if you can find it Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, again, you had 
I can only imagine how much fun that movie was to design because you you didn't just have superheroes, you had civilian work and you know, you're going into yeah. clubs and diplomats and suits yeah. and, and all <laughs> kinds of things. I mean, it was it was a, a beautifully done film and the the actors, I mean, putting clothes on people like Kevin Bacon and, and Michael Fassbender, I mean, they 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 just looked great you know that it really that again another movie that has an overall i mean it makes sense coming from like doing stardust and doing you and having could you talk a little bit about the relationship you have when you work with directors like ridley scott or especially like matthew vaughn when you work with them over and over again what kind of rapport do you develop with your directors and the and the directors of photography because light plays a big deal yeah yeah, I mean, you, you know, you. It's funny because I have worked with a few, a few times, but often the, if I, I might not be available for the next time, and you kind of go, oh, damn, damn, because there's, you know, I really love the diversity of working with different people. Um, but with Matthew, I worked with him quite a few times, and I think you kind of learn how they like things and mm. learn, um, you know, what bits you can have as a, you know, shorthand of their style likes and dislikes um and you know things like whether they they the colors that they don't like is a is a an interesting one um i think with ridley i only worked with him as an assistant and then did black hawk down as a designer but i kind of knew he's he's very much kind of likes everything to be real and 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 it he's such an artist he draws um that's an incredible Thing to be able to have that language to me is like I really love that it's the same with with, with Guillermo with, with the drawing um and with Matthew he um has he's very into the style of things and in a, in a, in a very different way um and he, I suppose if I look at all three films I did and then Kick-Ass 2 he was a producer on mm-hmm. um definitely there's a style that he likes um, which is, you know, it's that he loves, he's very into suits and he's very into, you know, snappy style and it's got to look expensive. And, you know, if it's a diamond, it's got to be a big diamond, and, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I know, I remember on Stardust, we, there was the whole thing about the, the, the necklace. And we came up with this necklace, which is actually Matthew's coat of arms involved in the, wow. in the necklace. Uh, there's the two, two animals intertwined over it. And and we we spent ages trying to find the right uh, substance to make that out of because obviously a sapphire that big on a ruby that big is impossible <laughs> to buy. Um, and so there's you know he has, he's very into his details and and they're they're very key to his storytelling. Mm. Yeah. Well, then uh, you know you I I'm, I'm I I could spend hours talking to you about all these movies <laughs> you know I want to get through everything I want to talk to you about then your first movie with Alex Garland was Ex Machina now yeah. the thing about Ex Machina it's basically like a play you've got three people yeah. in an enclosed space and obviously yeah. some of the great physical effects uh that uh, Alicia uh her the she's playing a robot but the effects involved in bringing her to life were amazing but how do you when you're approaching a movie where it's basically three three characters in a in a house, how do you approach that from a costume design standpoint to keep it visually interesting? Well, I mean, you know, it's characterization. It's it's you know the, the, those the, the four people in that house were all. Oh, that's right. There's very, four. There's because they're. I don't want to spoil the <laughs> the, the yeah. fourth person. Yeah, there's uh, 
uh, oh, I suppose the Alicia's character isn't a person, really. And no, um, neither is the other person, but we won't. No, you know. <laughs> but you don't know. You know. <laughs> yeah, we don't know that. Uh oh, we just spoiled oh. everything. <laughs> no. Um, it, you know that you've got four very, very individual scenarios that all have their own history of where they've been, you know, where they've come from and why they're at this point in this house together. So, you know, really a lovely journey. For, mm-hmm. from a costume perspective you know you've got your rich guy you've got the guy that works for him who's going why did i win this oh god i'm coming into this big house then you've got the two other characters that are both there for different same reason but very different characters um and yeah it was really great to do something like that because it was so contained and yet so powerful you know great script and genius director and you know he's amazing to work with and uh, I, I think the, I think they originally approached me to do that film because of the suit, because of um, the robot, because um, they they'd done some research into it and been told that it would cost hundreds of thousands and to do it in prosthetic, and um, then they said, look, you know, can you you've done these kind of things before? Can you um, um, can you how do you approach it? And uh, and I was like, okay, let me take it away and have a think about this. Wow! Because um, they wanted basically, Alex wanted the whole suit to feel like it was her skin, so it, it couldn't have been a like clothing or a or a, a piece of armor or anything. So we we actually ended up creating the fabric. We bought this stretchy stuff that was a hexagonal, and then we embedded we we uh, we dipped it into a type of urethane that had metal powder dipped into it. And then we laid it onto Teflon, let it dry so it was only curved on wow. the top, flat on the bottom. And then we made the suit out of that. And the next thing after that was, I don't want to see any seams in it. So we had to make it as seamless as possible. <laughs> so you, stretching something over a body without any seams is really tricky without getting wrinkles. But we managed it. And we, we worked very heavily with um, Andrew Whitehead. Andrew White, I can't remember his second name. Sorry, Andrew, um, from Deneg, uh, in in where we could put the bands on the arms and mm. where it would fill in, and and then the 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 mesh was still in those areas, and so, so he could lay it over his things afterwards. So it was a it was a very to and fro with their. Yeah, was was this the closest you ever worked with an effects team? Like doing because the 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 way that the the the. The visual effects. I believe it won an Academy Award, didn't it, for visual yeah, effects? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I thought that the the. It, I think it's some of the great, a great combination of costume design and physical effects ever done for a movie, because oh, thank you. I, I mean, I can only imagine how difficult that was. Was there a lot of tests involved, like what you were doing in terms of yeah, with the effects bit. team? Yeah, we had to. It was more to do with body marks than anything, and where where we put the black lines that mm. we made as a real thing rather than it being a black line that they had to take out we made it so it had screws in it and things so they could use that as their marker for where they put the, the wow. mechanics and then laid they laid the, the, the top layer back over um and it's amazing uh and originally i think the line was going to be above the breasts in that one but then we moved it below because it it it, it hadn't it was weird for them to be doing that bit i think and they didn't work, so we 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 moved around with the lines a bit until we got the shapes right, so it was flattering on her body, um, and it was very very tight on her. 
in order to achieve the one of, there was a shot that Alex wanted where she turns off the camera and he was shoot he wanted to shoot across her body and he wanted to see the undulation of the me, the, the mesh going across the body like this without doing it in a in a VFX so uh, we we strove to get as much in camera as possible so they could concentrate on the bits that yeah. that they win. Yeah, so yeah, because... we, yeah, it was a very, very close uh, working relationship. But I think I'd done a lot of VFX before that yeah. um, as well, but not not that intensely at that point, I think. Well, I mean, a character that's half VFX too a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, seeing through her or... It was, yeah. it, it was a marvelous... Uh, collaboration i mean what a what a great in terms of cinematic robots or androids one of the greats of all time is is ex machina (laughs) i mean well that was probably a good preparatory so now your your next movie you you jump into the mcu you know you jump into the then the marvel cinematic universe when you got there i mean ant-man came out in 2015 when you when you got there they had firmly established themselves i mean they they were already huge you know, yeah. you, you Avengers came out in 2012, and one of the the great strengths that I've always felt, especially as somebody who's read Marvel comics since I was a kid, is their costume design. And I, I, I mean, everyone talks about it, but I think people just kind of take it for granted now. But I think that the costumes, the superhero costumes in the MCU, both have that verisimilitude, that reality, yet they're still redolent of the comic books, but they're not slavish. Yeah. recreations there there's something unique to the films and one of my favorites is ant-man oh. uh, that that first and now i know because even one of the co-hosts of this show is a visual development artist for marvel so i know that you know when you walk into something like that marvel has they've had developers come up with the looks of these things but it's one thing to look at a painting and look at beautiful design work and it's a whole nother thing to make a costume that's going to work in the real world. And the Ant-Man costume, I think, is deceptively, it might be simple, it might look, but it's deceptively intricate, isn't it? I mean, there's multiple layers on that costume. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, yes, the first one, which I I think is my favorite, because there's a retro feel to it, because it it, it, it is retro in the actual film itself. It was made before, so you have to have a, a period. How... First of all, what was it like coming into the MCU? Like when you get the call, <laughs> like does does light shine down from heaven? Like what happens? Yeah, you know, it was like really. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, 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 it was a really enjoyable experience. Um, and I, I did that film entirely in America. Took my whole family over there, um, and uh, they, yeah, you know, the the suit itself. Um, we did a little test a, a while before we actually did the film to mm. proof of concept it. And uh, it, I, I think we were given a drawing and, to- and asked, can you create this so we can do this little short test footage? And uh, we did it in four weeks. And we kind of like, okay, let's get some leather. And it's meant to be kind of period 60s-esque. Um, and, and we worked out really quickly, marked it out in a very simple format. Um, and then, then when we came to do the real thing, it was about two years later, in fact, I think, uh, we obviously started really looking into the textures of it because the, the, the design was pretty set 
at that point because we'd done the test before then. Sure. Um, and the, the, some of the one of the impossibilities of that suit was that they wanted pipes that were th running through it that had these little connectors and stood above the surface. Yep. So immediately when you're dealing with fabric, um, <clears throat> you, that's tricky. It's the same <laughs> with going in. <laughs> In or out, really tricky. Out is easier. In is really, really tricky. Um, so we we came. I I have a uh, one of my really good colleagues who I've worked with for over thirty five years is Ivo, um, and he's done most of my films with armor and all kinds of you know hard um, cost, uh, costume prop parts. Um, so we worked together to um, create. He he came up with this idea that the he could mold the pipes. And have a piece of fabric embedded so we could stitch it in on the underneath. And it wow. was really complicated, but we at that time we didn't know how else to do it. So it was a real journey. And then also the, there was the red parts of it that we decided we would experiment with. That uh, that we looked at that an insect eyes and look at the, the different textures in the cones of insects. Um, and uh, came up with this print that we got printed wow. and it, it, we had a lot of different experiments on that many many uh, we even tried to do laser cutting and it just burnt the leather so we couldn't use that uh and uh, and then you know we just came together in the end but it was just a really long journey to get that suit together well i have to say i mean you know of all like i told you i collect the hot toys action figures of all the mcu characters and and why that why they're so great to have and in, in you know even though they're hideously expensive is those costumes are so great and that first ant-man costume like you said i mean all of that piping it all worked i mean you knew you you immediately gave scott lang an identity that set him apart yeah. from the other uh characters that had already been established i mean it was a really great really great design and it looked incredible on camera yeah um, i think um one of the other things that we did in that, uh, I think it was, it was, it was always a kind of conversation as to how much we can get away with in CG and how much we build. And one of the things Ivo and I were really kind of like, we really want to build it. We really want to build it yep. complete. We built it complete with the lights as well. So the light, all the red lights were real and they used that on camera so they could get like, you know, the peripheral light off all the things. And um, that was, I think when we started the film, I remember having a meeting with various people at Marvel and they were going, well, but, you know, we've learned from that Iron Man. We don't have to do it all necessarily, right. um, you know, and I kind of get that because that's like a really massive suit. And, and I was like, no, we I, I'm convinced we can build it. So we we, we did. <laughs> and I, 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 in the end, it, you know, it came out OK. Well, I think that's what makes, you know, Marvel, they, they, they have such an understanding of how the production process of these films, they've got it down to a science. So yeah. there is a great synergy between full CGI. Like you can go from, say, Tom Holland in a Spider-Man suit to the CGI where he's spinning around New York City and then landing in a practical suit and it's seamless. Yeah. I mean, they've done a great, great job of that. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, now, you know, this has been, a, I, I should probably talk about the, the marquee, that, what we're talking about this week. Um, this was probably, for me personally, one of my most eagerly awaited MCU films, Eternals, because, one, I'm a big Jack Kirby fan, and it was, I thought it was an interesting choice, because it's not exactly, 
I mean, I remember in 2008 when Iron Man came out, people were like, well, Iron Man's a second-tier character. You know, people don't know Iron And I'm like, really? Is that true? And then, of course, Iron Man becomes, you know, I think one of the classic movie moments is Robert Downey Jr. snapping his fingers, I am Iron Man, and, you know, it kills him, but it also brings back the world or whatever. But um, so The Eternals, to me, was a really fascinating choice uh, to make. and. Then you have the choice of Chloe Zhao. I mean, one of the, again, one of the geniuses of Kevin Feige is he's tapping directors from yeah. places that you wouldn't normally. And she hadn't even finished Nomadland yet when she was when Kevin Feige found her and brought her on board, which I think was a, a, a another genius move. I mean, James Gunn had only made three million. He'd made Super and he'd made Slither, but Kevin Feige's like, no, 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 come make my hundred and fifty million dollar crazy. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. You're the perfect guy. Nobody else in Hollywood, in Hollywood history, would do what he does, what Kevin does. Like, I know him. I've never met him. But what Kevin Feige does, tapping these creative people. So I'm just curious, how did you find yourself? Obviously, you're working on Quantumania now, but how did you get involved uh, in Eternals? And was it just were you were you not busy then because you'd done things like Artemis Fowl and Jurassic World, so you'd been working on these big projects? How did you get the call back to come do Eternals? Because Eternals is the costumes are indelible that you've made, and I have to say, I hope Hot Toys makes all of them because I will buy all of those. I love those. I loved the Eternals costumes so much I can't even tell you. But how did you get the? How did you get involved? So I think I had just finished. Um, Artemis Fowl. And was I, I? I was meant to be doing Nile, but I can't. Yeah, I think I finished Artemis Fowl, and then and I got a call from uh, one of the producers saying we got this film. We'd love you to meet for it. Um, and so I had a I had a Zoom meeting actually, which is weird because it was way before the pandemic. <laughs> now everyone does it. Um, and uh, and then yeah, they asked me to do it and. Uh, I read the treatment first and I, when we, when I had the interview, I was like, oh my God, this is like, you realize how much costume this is. <laughs> it goes through every period in time. Well, that's all what I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all of it was unreset, like very little research is, is in existence for Mesopotamia. Yeah. Let's go back to Babylon. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, a few carvings and a few, you know, paintings from the Gupta period and, uh, yeah, or, or each period you went through, not a lot of research is there that you can really hold on to. But then you've got your, like you th- said earlier, your theater experience. It doesn't have to be exactly period accurate. Yeah. It can be redolent of the period. People just have to believe it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we did our research, very extensive research on that film. We even spoke to anthropologists about each period so that we could understand you know what we were looking at particularly if you look at say for instance the the babylonian um carvings into stone and stuff the, how to interpret what is actually um carved is is really tricky because you go oh, well it's you know it's zigzagging stuff down the body and they've got this curly hair but actually hmm is it that and so you you know having i did a i did something years and years ago which was a drama docu about ancient Egypt so we had a very similar kind of approach having gone through the research for that I, I thought I know how we've got to research this really carefully because you could make very drastic assumptions that might be quite incorrect to represent those periods 
Um, so we we were very careful in not wanting to put something that is like, for instance, in the Aztec period, um, you don't want to misrepresent the Aztecs history. Right. So we did really intensive research into the, all the code, the the code, what they call the codexes, those, those things that the, the monks came back with from their travels when they mm. went over there with the Spanish. Um, and, and it's all symbols and stuff. So we, we kind of, we had to get people in to just kind of check things, particularly with the Aztec stuff, because you've got these eagle and, you know, leopard warriors that, you know, in, in a representative that looked like a chicken with a, a man in feathers. <laughs> and you go, are we, are we serious? Or is this what we're doing? And really question it. You know, that's just the historical part of it. That, that doesn't bring in, you know, our, our, our other characters that had to go through all those periods as well. But this, they were all dressed in their version of those periods. Yeah. In the so it was huge in terms of costume. Ten superheroes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, it drew upon, you know, your experience doing period stuff earlier in your career. So you were doing that. Yeah. And at the same time, you had to correct. One of the things that I, uh, the the Eternals costumes themselves, uh, I think are absolutely beautiful. But like you said earlier, there's, it seems to me that at first they look, are they hard armor? Are they, what? it looks like they're very layered and, and they're, they're, their full body like in in other costumes the costumes have like sometimes black widow might be in a full-on spandex or a uh, leather one-piece zip-up yes. suit but but those are pretty confining costumes and they had to move because people have to be able to move like they can walk in everyday life and fight in them yes. so how how difficult was it to because it looks i was looking at close-up photographs of the the costumes and it looks like there were many, many pieces and many layers to those costumes. Yeah. How did you go about, first of all, were they already designed when you got there and you had to figure out, well, how do we do this in real life? Or did you yeah. did you <laughs> get in on the design process? Yeah, so we, I was in quite early and they'd come up with various concepts and Chloe had her kind of version of what she wanted them to go towards. Um, which was very much she was very much not wanting armor she was very much not wanting spandex mm. and she wanted something that was what can we've all described now as um a ceremonial skin or a ceremonial skin. wow okay so the idea was that it's like it's representative of the 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 entity that they are it's really hard to put it into words really because a lot of this is very kind of like you know otherworldly in a way yeah yeah they're, they're beings they're not humans so what we wanted to do was they're the, eternals we, we had the <laughs> um what we it's it, where did we start i mean it, we were given drawings that this is the world in which we want to go and eventually i said look you know we they we were concepting and concepting and, and it, it was like you're never going to get any further with this unless we take the bodies that we're going to use and start actually building on them so mm. we almost took the essence of the designs and then started working with the bodies and then beyond that we um had to there was color obviously colors that were representative of each character so what we did was we we decided okay these is our 10 these are our color theory 
what is the surface of these costumes? Because what was drawn was a, a skin that looked like prosthetic with gold lines going into the body. And I kept saying, this is this is really tricky. What, he, what you know, if you want it to be more softer and clothing, we can't do this in fabric. So we need to find some way in which to make the, the language of what you what is needed by the soft floaty parts when they're in the wind, but still it's really and like, that like a shell. That design work was all part of the technology. You see it throughout the sets. You see yeah. it throughout their their spacecraft. You see it even all yeah. the way back to the Celestials. So all of the piping and stuff that was was really in yeah. a way their technology yeah so we obviously there's a language that was developed for the uh for everything so there's a celestial language and then the circles chloe was very very into the jack kirby circles and that was something that we all were like we always have to have a curve there's no square lines there's no right. square corners there's no you know it's, it's all curves so um, that was very important that all those lines were in, in. And then those lines were then put into the wall behind them um, in the ship. And then that's how, you know, it's kind of, they're linked. Because they're like, they're like, yeah, like those costumes are almost like generated. They're, a, they're, they're an extension yeah. of the technology of the, the yeah. celestials that were given the, to the, the Eternals. They are, yeah, they are almost meant to be like a skin. Yeah. Um, but obviously doing that prosthetics would have been too, way too costly, way too long every day. And actually the amount you'd go through for the a time that they were in, it would be impossible to film. So we came up with this method. So we looked at the universe and we took photographs and looked, well, we researched into uh, photographs of, of the Milky Way and nebulas and, and, and kind of looked at all that. And then we decided the only way we're ever going to make these look completely unique, because you can't buy that pattern, you can't print that pattern. Right. So we, what we did was, and this is really random, we got big boards and we made, from, from all our research, I got the whole breakdown team to start making oil paintings out of oil and paint and metal powder. So you got these like nebula style wow. paintings. And, and we made about 50 of them. And then we chose certain ones to be certain characters and even down to the colors. And then we used that as our reference and we scanned that. And then we did, we, we parted the patterns digitally. And then we got, we dyed up stretch fabric to start with and then printed layer after layer on top of these fabrics in different ways. So you had a, like a base print and then you had a urethane, like a, a it was like a um, sort of a plastic finish. Oh God, what was it called now? I can't remember. Um, the, just different types of substance that you can print onto fabrics to give this layered effect. And then they were over dyed again. And then they were made, they, that was part of the costume. And then those patterns were then transferred on it by hand painting onto the harder pieces. So all the harder pieces that you see on the bodies, like with the, say for instance um icarus his chest or whatever you that's all a type of soft urethane that was, mm. was all done and that was done by scanning the actor's body and then we we use that scanned that into the computer and then built on, on top of that with all those shapes and then printed them in off on a 3d printer sanded them down made sure they were all perfect made a mold of them and then made them in these urethanes that were all colored to base colors 
of their costumes and then hand painted over and then all wow the gold. and so you, you actually look closely at them that the areas around certain arms and legs or whatever you've got like a pipe in but the harder parts go in so all the bodies and all the shoulders and the arms have the gold ridges going into the body so it's very very technical and hundreds of pieces in each one yeah, well, one of the things I also love about those costumes is the colors you chose. Like, the blue isn't too bright. Like, Icarus is blue. It's it's like a per- perfect blue. Kingo's purple. You know, yeah. d- did you have to do experiments in terms of the actual shades yeah. of those colors? And especially when you put yeah. them all, you know, in every trailer, they show the shot when they're all standing next to each other. Yeah. And, and all the colors, so not only did the individual colors have to be right, but then when you put all the co- uh, the characters together, one couldn't be too garish, too loud. It had to, no, like, you, yeah, how did yeah. that, was that tough to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, to get the balance of the color. There's not one of those costumes is one color. They're, they all have multicolors within them. So, it, for, for instance, um, Icarus has got black, navy blue, a, a lighter blue, and then a, a touch of electric blue. And, and actually, when we finished the costumes, Another part of that was we had someone go over with foil in tiny little spots everywhere. So, you know, you look in the sky and it goes like that. So you look yeah. at the fabric and it does the same thing. Um, but the the colors are, there are lots of colors within each costume. Even even Druig, it was black, is actually, it's like metal black and silver and then a dense black. Um, and then um, red, his is the only one that's only red in the lines. Right. Yeah, and uh, oops, sorry, um, and um, I think uh, Thana's is was very pale gold, mm-hmm. um, rather than it being a deep gold. What you'd expect, we yeah, we wanted to keep that quite subtle. Was there another like? Obviously, a lot of the Marvel films are shot in Atlanta, and there's a lot of green screen. And one of the things that was celebrated has been they've made a lot about is that Chloe Zhao wanted to shoot this more on real locations so you then have you have to deal with a lot more daylight issues and you talked about how things look in the light did you have to do experiments like underneath sunlight and things that you wouldn't necessarily normally have to do as much because the lighting couldn't be as controlled in terms of how these things would reflect off this like if you're if you're on the beach shooting by water you've got the reflection coming off the water you've got sunlight was that problematic at all yeah i mean we had uh, we had to be very careful with shine because the surfaces needed to be shiny so they didn't look like fabric and yet not too shiny that it's mirrored. And uh, another thing we had to bear in mind was a lot of urethanes that we use. I've used this t- technique on quite a few um, films, actually. If you put it in sunlight after about a day, it will change color or change its oh, So we had no. to work out which, which substance was the best for... The, the raininess of England versus the oh. <laughs> you know, water in the hot wind and rain. I'm um, sorry, wow. hot wind and rain. Yeah. So uh, th- th- there was a lot. There was a lot of experimentation, and and also we didn't really have enough time to make them. Actually, even though you know we had a lot lot of prep, but it was just like the 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 amount of R and D we had to do to get the the patterns right, um, and then just before you've even got to start building them. And then when you're fitting the actors, the the amount of movement that they had to do, we had to make sure that every single movement they could do was 
you know didn't didn't rip the costume costume. you know what we we actually were we my team they were amazing i had an amazing uh group of artisans that that just did everything they could and uh i was really worried that we the minute they started wearing them that we would end up with kind of you know breakages and we couldn't get them out quick enough if that happened so, uh, you know, right. I think something like ten of each or six or ten of each, but um, but actually they stood up really well, and I, and now I'm going wow the 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 choices we made about the stretchy parts that you can you can kind of see um and we the techniques that we used to stitch them together because we had to not only did we have to make hard and soft parts we had to merge them so we had to embed fabric in the back of the hard parts that you could then stitch up against. Wow. We we ended up um, like altering the machines, like cutting the machine foots in half so you could get up to it or, and, you know, changing our equipment in order to sew them. It was really technical. I think they're probably one of the most difficult superhero costumes we've made so far. Well, I mean, look, I, as I said, I, I thought they looked fantastic, you know, and, and it's, again, it's what I think one of the the great strengths of the MCU people are like, well, you know, they don't look like Jack Kirby's. If you made, if you made Icarus look the way Icarus looks on the cover of Eternals one in the seventies, people would laugh (laughs) that off the screen. You know, you have to make it. And that what I love about those costumes is there is a certain timeless regality to them. Is regality a word? They're very, yeah. they're, 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 they, 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 when you see them when they first arrive on Earth, there is this quality, you know, they're otherworldly. You know, the juxtaposition yeah. with those costumes and the bright landscape and the ocean crashing and the deviants and rescuing yeah. those, there's something that immediately says, okay, these characters don't belong on earth and yet they are very much royalty or it really there's just something about it that i i really love now you mentioned ivo is it ivo coveney coveney yeah how did you work with him did you bring him on to eternals was he working with you yeah ivo and i have worked together since i was 19 wow um yeah we've met in theater and then I went and did my degree. And then when I started working with Janty, I knew him, um, obviously from theatre, knew he did armour and stuff. And so I um, introduced him to Janty to do uh, Russell Crowe's armour on Gladiator. And then since then, we've sort of, he's done pretty much any, any film that I've done that is superhero-esque. Uh, or- so you have a shorthand with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we've, we've known each other for about 35 years. It's yeah it's uh we do have a shorthand and he he is he's so techy and he's so artistic at the same time and it's quite unusual combination to have um and he knows about all the different like you know 3d printing processes and so now i can kind of go you can do this can't you and you know we'll work (laughs) he, he does everything on cad and so now i'm starting to kind of understand all that it's great um but i i can't work it but I can sit with him and we can go, I can say, you know, the collar needs to be higher or this needs to be lower. Think about this body uh, versus this shape. You know, you, you kind of work it out from, and and all that tech that we have our hands now, it helps a lot with stuff like this. Mm. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a, an interesting process, but it's, it's quicker than if you were clay modeling, which takes forever. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that the evolution of the digital technology has, has been a great advantage on, on particularly whether it's superhero films or science fiction films or things like this, because it allows you to do uh, these kinds of things. Yeah. Now, you know, at the end of um, uh, at the end of Eternals, it says Eternals will return. Now, when you're working on something and knowing that one of the things I've always loved, especially as a collector of these high-end action figures, I'm like, I wonder how they're going to change the suits. So when you were working on Eternals, did you think of like, now, I guess they don't have to change their suits because it's their technology. But when you're working on stuff, do you ever come up with ideas and think, well, I, here's what I want to do for the ne- next iteration? Do you come up with new ideas that you want to implement later? Because, and I ask that because obviously, you know, the the each each um each marvel cinematic universe movie kind of changes the suits like when they did captain america winter soldier you got the captain america stealth suit which was badass and i'm just yeah. thinking man i love these eternal suits so much i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't mind if they stayed the same but did you come up with ideas where you would you'd evolve the suits if you could uh, that was a that was a conversation we were having a lot towards the end of, you know when when you because you would learn I mean these were difficult suits yeah. like how do you make yeah. it easier and, and that, obviously you know you take that that into your next film anyway that knowledge of like right now we can do this um, and you know probably some people will cry my team about that oh, but you know because <laughs> we're like not again but um, we did talk about how we could make them better as they are mm. I. Uh, you know, we never had a conversation where there would be another Eternal film, I have to say. Um, I don't know that. Well, um, no, it, but at the end of the movie, it does say the Eternals will return. Just like at the yeah. end of a James Bond movie, I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, um, yes, I, you know, the knowledge that we have now with those suits, we could definitely make them even better. But, you know, a lot a lot of a lot of our our work plan gets affected by when you get access to the actor so you right. may have loads of time to do r&d but ultimately when the actor comes in they you know with, with some of our our eternals you know we had to definitely change things in order for them it to suit their body um so you have to take on board all those things so it's great to do concepts for instance but there's still the element of actor and the director right wanting, actually maybe we should do it like this and so another iteration of them i suppose um it is completely possible and yes we there are things we wanted to change as we finish just because we're perfectionists and we we you know you want to push that envelope as far as you can um i think that they came out so much better than we anticipated due to our journey of r and d um now we look at them in the film and go Oh, you know, that line. And yes, of course. But that's more about our purist, you know, right. kind of want to make it perfect. Yeah. I got I to ask you, too. Um, one, I mean, it's in the trailer. It's, there's a, a Bollywood scene in the movie. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I mean, fun. would yeah, I was going to say, when, and, and it's not a small scene either. <laughs> so, yeah. like, when you, I, I mean, I'm a fan of Bollywood cinema. When you when you saw that, was that in the original, like, when you said you read the treatment, was that in the treatment that, oh, my God, we get to do a yeah. dance number? I can't remember whether, that, I think that was in a, like, as we went on and we got a script, I think it became, it, it got in, inserted. I don't think it was there in the treatment. Um, <clears throat> but it might have been. 
I can't, I, you know, I can't remember. I, I was because um, I'd be yeah. remiss if I didn't ask you, like, because of you know, obviously the Marvel movies do very well in India. I'm curious, did you go and look at any specific Bollywood movies for ideas for costumes? There, there were, do you know what's really interesting, actually, is um, Chloe had some, a certain, um, the House of Flying Daggers, weirdly, not Bollywood. Wow, okay. Um, there was the colours in that. She really loved yeah. the colours. Um, and she used some film references um, for colours in all the scenes. And then we did look at Bollywood. There were various Bollywood films we had a look at that we were trying to kind of use as a a sort of you know is this what you want is this what we want mm. How, you know what about this and in the end um we <clears throat> took all that research um and and then and we met a bollywood expert who this lovely lady and off the t- i can't remember off the top of my head what her name was and she she just kind of gave us some guidance in you know the current bollywood themes um and then uh we looked at the house of flying daggers um, because of that, that you know, that, there's a particular scene in it where the lady kind of does this, you know, <laughs> beautiful dance, and 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 we used a lot of the colours in that as reference, and then we we decided on colour themes for men and women, and a lot of it was inspired by what what um, uh, Kingo is wearing in that scene mm-hmm. is is. Bollywoodized version of Icarus because right. really, he, he's, he's playing really Icarus, sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we took Icarus's costume and we made a Bollywood version of it. I did a drawing of it, and then we found a beader in India that beaded the center for us. And then we, yeah, we we built that all in house. In fact, everything was built in house. I want to actually see that movie. <laughs> a movie within a movie like it's a special feature on the 4k yeah. disc yeah. what movie is kingo making here it is like at least give us like 10 minutes of it yeah. you know, ten, of the actual finished movie yeah absolutely yeah it was it was great to do all that you know all the girls in the skirts and the guys and all that color swirling around that was a real nice light relief you know from all the other epochs of you know babylon and Kind of heavy. Well, I have to say, I mean, the movie really hit me in the right, the right place. Um, you know, it's funny. I, 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 my review of it, I said that um, Ridley Scott's Prometheus, which has to do with the engineers creating life on Earth and living through. I'm like, this movie is kind of like if the if 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 Ridley Scott's and uh, Prometheus was told from the engineers' point of view. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the people that come to help humanity, and I really. I loved Eternals. I loved the cosmology of it. I loved what it has to say about the Marvel universe, and I just I was enchanted by the whole thing. I, I really, I really, because you know it was kind of a movie that that hit me personally in, in in the feels and the kind of things that I like. The idea of ancient. I mean, they keep trying to make movies about ancient astronauts or people influencing the history of humanity, and and yeah. I I'm a I'm a huge fan of the original Eternals concept anyway. So I I really really love this movie. And um, it's interesting to see that the critical response has been mixed because yeah. I think people are wondering. I think it's going to be a movie that grows in its people are going to. It's one of those movies that people are going to love the more they watch it yeah. because yeah. there's so much in it. And another thing, too, is I don't know if you ever got into this when you're making the movie, but if you're a Marvel Comics fan and you're watching Eternals, there are huge connections to the Avengers because, like, Cersei's character, she was an Avenger. 
in yeah. in the in the Marvel Comics universe. I yeah. mean, the, the, not in the movie universe, but in the in. But you know, they who knows what the next Avengers movie is going to be? And I'm like, mm-hmm. know. <laughs> you yeah. know, but but it was really it was really interesting from a comics yeah. point of view how the Eternals leaves it and where the future could be with those characters because I I really liked the way those actors all gelled together I thought they looked great on screen and I I I really you know I really loved what you all did with that film I I I I thought it was terrific and um it's great I guess to to wrap up first of all I want to thank you for your time I mean you were absolutely delightful I I would want to ask obviously for people that might want to get into costume design and if there's a bit of advice like, what could you tell the next generation of designers who are maybe coming up? Like, I think it was so funny you said you didn't want to, you didn't know, you, you were scared of fashion when you first started. But what could you tell people now? I mean, now we live in an Instagram world where people's yeah. designs and everything is, is all over the internet. How can people begin? And, and what would you say people should focus on if you want to get into this line of work? I mean, I think for me, just thinking what's been useful in my career is is an, a love of history um, and a love of film. Those two things. Because I watched films from such a young age and um, now, I, I, the films I watched when I was, you know, in my early teens or whatever, I didn't realise at the time were like iconic films. Um, but... Uh, what what were I, some of the films that, you talked about Star Wars, but were there other, are there other touchstone movies that, that really impacted you and yeah. made you want to design yeah blade runner <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's that, <laughs> that <question>. still <laughs> yeah. by the way a movie whose designs were timeless then they're timeless now i know and i was very lucky to um be do some uh lessons with the, the person that designed that film charles node he lectured at, at, at wimbledon for a while so mm. he, yeah um yeah, uh, what other films? Uh, you know, I, I watch. I loved. I used to love watching um, all the Hammer horror movies, and they're really theatrical. And I think I can see why now. <laughs> you know, they're so kind of like, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm a I'm a huge fan. The Karnstein Vampire Trilogy, Vampire Lovers, yeah. <laughs> Lust for a Vampire, and Twins of Evil. Or yeah. one of my favorites is Vampire Circus, which is a great. I mean, I'm a huge Hammer horror fan, so yeah, loved, loved all those, and I watched those really young um, on a Saturday night, double bill, you know, <laughs> and uh, and and then also um, I'm so I really love all the kind of old, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, how well ponchos, work. your love of ponchos, yeah, good, the bad, yeah. and the ugly. I, I think I kind of there's a, a definitely if you look through the thousand films before you die book it, i'm in the, that early 70s there's all those kind of you know movies that i i adored even really random films there's a film called danger diabolique which i directed I by mario bava <laughs> yeah and i <laughs> what really great film really bizarre but it's I, so I, great uh, but that's you know yeah. danger diabolic is based on a european comic character yeah. So, like Barbarella and Dino De Laurentiis produced both yeah. of those movies. Right. Well, Danger Diabolic is awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. In fact, I think that was one of the references we used for first Ant Man. Really? Yeah, it was wow. Something that we, I discussed very early on was a, a kind of you know this the the, en- the the energy of that character and the the kind of the. What he was wearing was quite funny, but you know it's that like kind of really simplistic jumpsuit thing. Yeah. But, um, 
But there was something about it that I just felt was akin to what we were trying to achieve at the time. Interesting. I love yeah. so, uh, you. Just became my favorite person, d- d- making, <laughs> d- doing a d- danger diabolic reference and making Ant Man. See, that's why you, that's why you get paid the big bucks. That's why Marvel oh. brings you back. Thinking outside the box, knowing oh, your work. Thank you. you know, I think that if anybody wants, th- th- that's the thing is like love film. It, it, it really is. It's it, it's that, and it's also history. And I I know a lot of designers don't necessarily do this, but I. I'm gifted with the with the fact that I can draw and therefore I utilize that. And mm. even if you can do it a little bit, because one of the things that um, is very is very obvious when you're making these big movies is that your cutters need a drawing. Even though you might say, oh, I want something like this, here's the reference. They'll go, well, yep. what, you, what is it? And you have to draw it. Um, even if it's, a, if it's a line drawing. Um, I like to do line drawings. I like to do... Um, full-on drawings sometimes i'll do bits and pieces and then uh work it on the stand and then draw it again but i think that's something that if you want to be a costume designer try and find a way of getting across your ideas somehow on paper is 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 a good thing from your for your making team Mm. um and research art films history generally i was uh, wimbledon school of art did, did at the time i went there did this amazing course where you uh, you did the ev- the history of style and fashion and and politics all from the history of beginning of time to today and wow you, yeah it was a really good course over the time that i was there and uh, and and you you know you need to understand in costume what was happening politically and socially uh, versus what the style, why why fashion was influenced in shape and size and height and color, depending on what was going on in the world. That's all, and it's all, and it affects furniture and architecture and the width of doors and all those kind of things. So it's all it's all a big package. That so, even if you're only doing modern films, it can it can um, influence and um, help you on your journey to characterize. Well, that makes sense because one of the things I did like about Eternals is the fact that. Well, you call it the fashion, but everything was, from the Eternals standpoint, the Eternals world, all from the Celestials on down, it all was of a piece. It was all the the same. You realize that all of the aesthetics with the costumes bled into the technology, bled into where they were from. And I really liked that because it gave you, again, it gave you a sense of reality that what you were watching, I mean, even though, yeah, when you're dealing with cosmic beings and all that, you could lose the plot and be like, what? But because yeah. that there was everything had sort of a a synergy to it, it, it really felt that's another thing that in terms of world building, I really love the world building of the Eternals world in the film. And part of that was because everything worked together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Eve Stewart did a really amazing job, you know, in terms of production design. And we worked quite closely with making sure that colors, you know, in the in the ship or it, wherever we were. It, it, it worked. It, 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 it was so much to take in to make sure nothing jarred. Yeah. And, well, I mean, it, you did a fantastic job. And, and I hope everyone runs out and sees Eternals because I thought it was a wonderful movie. And it's a movie Thank I can't you. wait to see again because I didn't, I didn't get to see uh, – I want to go see it on an even bigger screen. <laughs> I want to go see <laughs> yeah. it the Chinese. It's opening at the Chinese on Hollywood Boulevard, um, you know, in, in IMAX. So I got to go see it there. Yeah. Now. Uh, the next thing you have coming up, obviously, is is you're still in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, you can't say anything about it. I know, because I have many <laughs> questions. But I will say this. 
there's a lot of comic book fans waiting to see a certain, I guess you could call it antagonist. We we met him already <laughs> in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Loki. Yeah. He's coming back uh, for me. And uh, if you know your comics, he has many different incarnations, not unlike the Eternals. <laughs> and I'm very curious yeah. to see what what's yeah. happening there. So I'm very I excited. <laughs> I know. I'm just very excited. Now, can people find you on social media? Do you have an Instagram account? No. Uh, well, I I don't really do social media. No. Well, I'm can people see your work? Do you have a website where people can I look at your design? That. No, that's the thing is like, I'm really like, I, I knew I do need to do a website, but I don't currently have one because I, I'm, I kind of. Well, it's not like you need people to see your work. It's not like you're, you know. know, I know. (laughs) I I have loads of drawings and I have, they're just in a drawer. I know. I I, I will make myself a website. Well, I would say, you know, the one thing about that is the the cool thing about websites, at least for me as a fan, when you can go find, especially design work, is it's really inspirational. I was looking at um, some early work that was done for No Time to Die. There was a designer's website. And it's so cool to see the evolution of things and to see. You know, if only to if only to honor all the work you've done. I mean, you've worked on, especially because you worked on so many superheroes or science fiction films. You know, I we're know. the people. Yeah. If I'll give another plug, a shameless plug to Marvel. By the way, I, I am not a Marvel shill. People are always going, Rob, you're such a Marvel shill. No, Marvel came out with a two volume hardcover book, a coffee table book that just came out called. Marvel Studios and it's the history of Marvel Studios and the it's photographs the in it are amazing. It's not the, the golden age, is it? No, it. this is a brand new, it's oh, two it's volumes. Brand it's oh. a br- beautiful hardcover book and I'll I'll plug it. I have I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not getting paid to <laughs> pimp out Marvels, but it's a really cool uh book with lots loads of behind uh, the scenes photos. Oh, right. Okay, that Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's really, really cool, and yeah. uh, it's very—it's 150 oh. bucks, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Buy that book. It. Well, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, well, well. Listen, Sammy Differ. I want to thank you so much for thank appearing you. on this podcast. I mean, you, what a delightful time we've had. I could talk to you for another four hours, but I'm sure the the <laughs> they'd be like, one day I'm going to get you to spill something, and you're not supposed to say it. So the sooner we get off this call, <laughs> the safer you are. <laughs> but um, congratulations on Eternals, you know, and thank and we will much. we will be looking forward to anything you do in the future. I mean, your work has been really inspiring and exemplary and i think you've done a lot to further the cause of great uh genre costume oh. design i mean everything you've worked on and i would i would encourage everyone if you haven't gone back to see movies like stardust what a wonderful movie a movie that i think doesn't get enough credit and uh it's it's just a really great piece of work and of course go see eternals it's in the theaters this 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 podcast drops on friday when the movie is actually released and go see it on a big screen because it's great and then we'll be waiting eagerly i mean we have to wait till what 2023 to see quantum mania yeah oh well what are you gonna do (laughs) good things come to those who wait i guess (laughs) (laughs) well sammy thank you so much for being here and thank you very much for your time Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you. It was great to meet you. Well, that certainly was another terrific episode of the Designing Hollywood podcast. I want to thank our sponsor, Fox Studios Costumes. With an extensive array of costumes and textiles from all eras, the Fox Onlot Warehouse provides customers an opportunity to turn their ideas into works of art.
I want to thank our guest, Sammy Differ. Was she not amazing? My God, I thought I was going to geek out harder than I did, but luckily I kept it under control. I especially want to thank our producer and founder, Martika Ibarra, and the co-founder, the legendary costume designer, Marilyn Vance. Thank you to all of our viewers for tuning in, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to iTunes. You can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast from or watch the YouTube version. Once again, my name is Robert Meyer Burnett, your host, and you can follow me on all across social media at Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, Twitter at Burnett RM, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. Thanks for watching. We very much appreciate it.